Each episode of Brain Health Unchaining Your Pain with Dr. Ruth Allen is for educational and demonstration purposes only. The information shared in each episode should not be interpreted as medical advice. This episode should not be used to self-diagnose or self-treat any health, medical or physical condition. Do not use this episode to avoid going to your healthcare professional or to replace the advice they give you. Consult with a trusted healthcare professional before doing anything contained in this episode. If you have any questions or concerns, please contact www.ruthmaryallen.com forward slash connect. Welcome to the show, Brain Health Unchaining Your Pain. I am really looking forward to this conversation today because it's such an important topic that we're going to talk about. And I'm joined by the wonderful Alison Chalou. Welcome to the show, Alison. Oh, thank you, Ruth. I'm so happy to be here. Oh, I'm so pleased you got to connect because I know that last time, the last time we saw each other, which is actually the first time thanks to COVID, was at the London, London Havening Practice Group meeting. And it kind of feels like we've known each other for a really long time, but actually we never physically met in person until a couple of weeks ago. So it was so lovely to meet you. Yeah, you too. It's great. (laughs) And and for those that don't know Alison, so Alison is a qualified midwife and lactation consultant and also a havening trainer by trade. She's an energy healer and baby whisperer and author of the book, Baby Talk To Me, Spirit Baby Messages for the Journey to Motherhood. She supports women on their journeys to motherhood practically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. And I absolutely love that you cover all of those quadrants of health. And part of her mission is to heal the emotional wounds of the mother. And she uses various modalities to do this. She also facilitates women's empowerment groups, helping women to birth more of themselves and I absolutely love that and I'd love to dive into some of the things that you said there and um, but before we do that what are you passionate about in life right now? Oh the thing I feel most passionate about right now is empowerment of women. Oh. Um, I feel like um, I don't know I, I mean I just love women I work with women I love women <laughs> and <laughs> it's you know in my work, I can see so much how, as women, I mean, and men as well, you know, uh, how we've become so disempowered. I really. totally agree. Yeah, yeah. And I think it is the, I think now is the time where people are stirring. I think sort of since COVID, it's really made people look at their lives, look at perhaps what's happened before. They've Lots of people have chosen to, you know, not return to work or return mm-hmm. to working from home. I think there's been so many shifts that people are kind of waking from what seems like a bit of a slumber. And it's about bringing more of this, like the divine feminine, like the true who we are, because we've been so conditioned to stay small. We've been conditioned to stay quiet, to make other people feel comfortable. And actually, as a result, we've been quite suppressed. So that's part of my mission, really, is to help women to feel more empowered, to really discover who they truly are. And of course, that's come from my own journey of rediscovering who I am, because I Mm. was that wounded, suppressed person who stayed quiet to, you know, make other people feel comfortable. I was a um, certainly a people pleaser. Um, And, you know, the mantra in my family was it's nice to be nice. And so that was what I always had to be was to be nice. 
and that meant I couldn't not be nice so I was nice to everybody but to the to my own detriment really and yeah because I think sometimes the... we have to say no don't we absolutely and it's about creating healthy boundaries as well yes. that's, that's that's the key thing is about you know those those boundaries that we that we need to you know for us for us to be okay and to become more and more of our authentic selves really yeah and I think I think that point of empowerment is so important because I think often when we try to be nice to others we spend all of our time giving our energy out and none of our time reflecting on putting energy into ourselves at an emotional physical mental and spiritual level yeah absolutely yeah and then it kind of depletes us doesn't it because oh. because we're constantly looking outwards yes. and spending yes. no time exactly. reflecting inwards. No, absolutely. And I feel that that's sort of part of my role now, Ria, really, is helping people to go inward a bit more. Because yeah. the world is a really busy place right now. And so sometimes we have to come back, you know, learn where our own energy begins and ends. You know, coming back into the heart space, I suppose, really is, you know, what I'm aiming to help people with. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think that's so important. And um, <laughs> in the context of of your life's journey where did you where did you start in where do you feel you started losing that power yourself personally do you do could you take us back to yeah well you diminished yeah I think probably it was childhood okay um that took me right back to the beginning where I often felt like I was being silenced I often stopped that silly laughing stopped that silly crying oh, she's always making a drama, she's always making a fuss. And so, you know, I, I obviously I felt uncomfortable as a child. And so I think over time, I just learned that it was, it was best to say nothing. My family so might not agree. you to suppress your emotions that you yeah, really wanted to express. Yeah, and then you sort of pick up that, you know, people are not comfortable about talking about emotions. But I mean, I have always been somebody who wears my heart on my sleeve and yeah. <laughs> share emotions. And I just couldn't understand why so many people didn't. And I yeah. realised that I did make people feel uncomfortable. And it wasn't, obviously, it wasn't intentional. Um, but but I, I think as a result, I suppressed my I suppressed myself, really. Obviously, wow. unknowingly, unconsciously. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and what effect did that have on you personally when you... Because we kind of, like you said, we do this really unconsciously, but yeah. there is something that goes on in, internally within our system yeah. that says it's not okay. So, what did you, what did you notice with this this suppression of your emotions from childhood? Well, I think um, a lot of the time I didn't feel very safe. Okay. Um, and I would be kind of reading a room. You know, was it okay to speak or was it not okay to speak? So it kind of held yeah. me back a lot. Um, I felt like it held me back as as a midwife. I mean, I'm not practicing as a midwife now. Yeah. But um, I felt like it sometimes held me back. I felt like I should be more vocal about what was happening in the birthing arena. And I feel like that really stopped me. And I've done a lot of work now. You know, it's only now I'm kind of coming out of the shell because it feels a bit safer because it didn't really ever feel safe. Um, So, so yeah, so I think that's, yeah, that's what's happened, basically. (laughs) No, and I think that's really important that you share that because I think there's so many women out there who um, uh, Barbara Gustafson, who was on our sh- on my mm. show a while ago, she talked about this. You know, is, you, the importance of being quiet. It's not just women; it's men as well. They have to be, you know, silenced. They can't express themselves, and the yes. knock-on impact that has in you showing up as your true self in the yes. workplace. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it, it, your childhood experiences affect your personality in the workplace as well as in the home 
workplace. Yeah, completely. And it's a huge impact on on you and your um you don't feel being like I don't know I don't want to put words in your mouth but for me personally it felt like I wasn't being congruent with myself when I had to silence myself yeah no absolutely and then I just reached a point I thought I'm not doing this anymore I'm not doing this anymore no why am I staying silent to keep everybody else comfortable and I'm not feeling okay and thankfully I realized because a lot of the time it's when people end up with you know quite a severe illness that they yeah. that's kind of the the waking up moment of like I'm not yeah. doing this anymore so thankfully I got to it before that point where I thought I'm not doing this anymore but yeah. as, I've, I've had to overcome I would say quite a lot of fear Ruth to be able to you know even to be on this today you know to to speak yes. out it's like overcoming so much fear that fear of being shut down that fear of being or maybe even persecuted almost which is like it's so irrational but yeah. the fear when it's there is huge I think it's the the fear of being judged isn't it yeah. you know because we judge ourselves so harshly sometimes yeah. more harshly than the people in the room that you were trying yeah. to stand <laughs> yeah absolutely and so busy you know with this with this mantra it's nice to be nice really like it was not okay to not be nice and what if you upset somebody because you know you have to be nice yeah yes? so yes. so it kind of rings I hear it all the time now and now of course I realize it's just it was just a conditioning in some ways in a harmless yeah. it wasn't it was a, a you know on the surface you think well it's quite a good motto to have for life isn't it but actually no it's kind of really kind of <laughs> held me back in some ways yeah yeah and also you weren't being nice to yourself no everybody <laughs> else but not me <laughs> yeah nice to everyone but yourself yeah so I, I'm I'm really curious to know what inspired you to become a midwife my mum was a midwife and she it wasn't the thing for her she I don't I don't know what the reason was but she ended up being my, much preferred to being at Aston an emergency place what was the what was the inspiration for you well you know for as long as I can remember even probably pre-14 I thought I want to be a midwife now I'd spent many years playing with dolls okay I think I wanted to be a midwife because it meant I could be with the babies but what I very quickly realized was this is not a job you do because you love babies it's because you love women because, okay. but that I didn't realize that when I started out I was like oh I'm gonna get to hold all those lovely babies it's like uh-uh, it's not about that <laughs> it's about being with woman it's about supporting the woman and empowering her through her her journey yeah, yeah. and that and you know you mentioned that you know um you felt like you were suppressed when you were a <laughs> midwife and you couldn't express yourself fully and yeah. speak up um what what was the sort of art when did the aha moment happen for you to say enough was enough and that you could change you know you had the power to talk out yeah I mean I think I was very lucky and that I trained at a time where it was still relatively you know most women had vaginal births there was less intervention there was less cesareans Mm -hmm. there was less inductions than there are now um and I was trained in a way that I I knew physiology really well knew the physiology really well it becomes you know relative occasionally you get caught off guard but mostly there's there are things that you see you think oh this is not maybe not going as well as we think it might go Mm-hmm. Um, but generally, when you know physiology really well, it's like it jumps up at you. It's like, oh, we have to we have to do something now. Your instincts are mm-hmm. strong, and you need need to do something. Um, so where I had worked originally, where I trained, it was very autonomous. I really felt like an autonomous practitioner. I really felt like I kind of not had the power, but 
the midwives had autonomy. Okay. And so when I went to, I moved to a different hospital in um, in North London, and I couldn't believe the difference where it was because where it, even though that was the same time, it was much more medicalized. There was much more follow the policy, follow the policy, follow the policy. And because I had worked in this way, that was much more autonomous is what I can describe you know we're making decisions patient centric though much more patient patient centric yeah they barely saw a doctor you know there was this real trust in the midwives that we that we that we were able to know when things were deviating and then we would call the doctor whereas when I moved to this other place it wasn't like that that the doctor was there for every ward round you know and then I was the midwife saying we don't need a doctor in here for the ward round you know if we need you and of course it didn't it wasn't popular it did not go down well Ruth so I think it was probably there where this silencing started to happen where I just thought it's actually not safe to say I don't agree with that policy and I think this woman needs a bit more time yeah. And and I suppose being in that environment, seeing that other people there was, it just seemed like it was the norm to suppress. But I became more and more uncomfortable. I thought I actually don't think I can do midwifery like this because yes. it kind of went against the core of who I was and how I'd been trained, which was much more about autonomy. And yes. it just didn't. It didn't feel that I was being an autonomous practitioner. I was following, uh, you know, a bunch of rules. That sometimes I was thinking, why? Why are we putting these? Why are we placing these time limits on women when, yes. you know, what she needs is probably a bit of rest, or she needs a walk, or she needs something to eat. Yeah. So, Rather than looking at the person and their needs, they were focused on the on the rules yeah. of the process. That yeah. The process. So it's not exactly. So so I came out of that. Um, when I had my children, it was kind of like an escape. I did do a little bit, but but that's when it kind of led to the breastfeeding stuff. And then I worked as an independent midwife in 2014. And that okay. was wonderful because that was when I could really see, I was back there to being that autonomous practitioner that was supporting women in a way where they felt empowered. They were making decisions. Yes. Even if they were the decisions I wouldn't have chosen for them, yes. I was able to empower them to make the decision and support them in whatever that decision was. Yeah. Yeah. And that was wonderful. Yeah. And I think that's so important for women because, you know, I had a lovely midwife and I'm sorry um, if she's watching. I can't remember her name. Um, <laughs> but she but she was really great throughout the whole experience. She made me feel like I was the one that could be in control yeah. of, um, of how I, you know, developed the baby inside me. Um, and she got she was like my guide on the journey. Um all the way up to obviously giving birth Um, and it was quite difficult when I actually had to uh, visit different midwives to get checked as to where was the baby sitting in the context of are they ready to come out and this is Lily now Um, because you you build a bond with your midwife don't you absolutely almost like your birthing partner yeah absolutely and you know it depends who's in your in the room. You know, the environment is such a crucial part of birthing. Yeah. So, you know, if if the midwife rubs you up the wrong way, or you you know, there's there's a clash of personalities, it affects the birthing woman. It really yes. can affect how she how she births because you feel stressed. You might you may not be in fight or flight, but certainly like you're like I'm not sure how I feel about this, and like you're not meant to be in your mind when you're birthing. You're meant to be in your body. You know, you've got to yes. really connect. You've got to close off that logical left brain is it left brain logical left brain doesn't it <laughs> logical which, which way round your brain is but yeah your logical yeah. part of your brain <laughs> but the logical part is the bit that you're you need to sh- shut down really and when you're when yeah. you're birthing and of course when when there's this stru- disruption to that asking women lots of questions like this is not the time you know <laughs> 
unless it's absolutely urgent but generally you know just allowing women to so the environment is massive and that change of staffing can be so disruptive to some women's labors that they almost take a bit more time to settle back into it again environments you know it's such an important part of it and then can you sort of explain to me what you know if you're willing and able to share um when everything is going right for Mm -hmm. a woman um how you help them connect with themselves and empower themselves to bring a beautiful new baby into <laughs> into the world yeah. yeah well I think about a lot of it is about being connected I mean there's part of us that wants to kind of disappear out of the experience but actually being in the experience I mean uh, Ina May Gaskin she wrote a book called Spiritual Midwifery and she's got this lovely quote which is that um, women in labor are an elemental force it's like oh, wow don't mess with her you know let her do her thing really the idea is to really just support and just hold the space just yeah. hold the space and help her to feel safe it's about feeling safe and you know just telling her how amazing she is and as many ways as you can to try and increase the amount of oxytocin in the room yeah <laughs> basically <laughs> in short i can relate to that i know my birthing experience was absolutely not what i had on my birthing plan and uh, it was it was like the Bush Tucker trial of medical intervention, and we went everything from pessary all the way through to um, uh, to be giving the drip and C section at the end. Yeah. Um, but the thing that got me through was setting up the the right environment in the room as well as in my mind yeah. uh, to get through all of the all of the trauma. One of the biggest things for me that I did was I had a it was Christmas time. And I had a playlist of 200, 260 different Christmas songs that I would yes. listen to. And I think we got through them twice <laughs> as oh, part long of the experience with candles and, you know, yes. things playing. So I think it is so, I think it is so important yeah. to yeah. create that, that right. No, space. absolutely. And it's, it, you know, it's, it's challenging. You know, women are giving birth in a medicalized system. It's really yes. hard to say no. They make it very difficult for women to say no to things. And it always saddens me, women having stuff on their birth plan and then coming out thinking, I didn't have any of those things. Yes. Yeah. And, and I think that is the, kind of the bigger picture is that disempowerment of women. Because when yeah. you truly know what you want, you're like, no, I'm not having that. Yeah. But because we've got this sense of, oh, I better please them. You know, they're doctors, they know best. So, you know, I better do what they say. I mean, obviously, that's not consciously what women are thinking. But so so that's part of my role now is to help women to feel really empowered and like like know your power. Do you know how powerful you are? Yeah. Because we've lost that ability to know just how powerful we are as women. Yeah. And and I certainly felt like I do feel still now that I would have loved to have given birth naturally and had the yeah. that powerful experience. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which 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 was not possible because um, I was 30, 14 days late and they said, yeah. oh no, 12 days late. And they said that I had to have a C-section um, yeah. and that was incredibly traumatic for yeah. the baby, um, Lily, um, but it was also unknowingly traumatic for me, which I didn't realise. And, yeah. and my havening journey kind of evolved as <laughs> me uncovering the trauma that I had buried beneath me. Yeah, um, yeah, I'd love to know how your havening journey started in the context of midwifery and how that how you've used that to empower women now. On sure. The journey. Yeah. So um, I think I must have been looking for a healing technique because I thought, oh, women are really having a difficult time. 
obviously I've worked as a lactation consultant for over 20 years and I always ask women I give them the opportunity they don't have to tell me if they don't want to but I always give them the opportunity to talk about their birth yeah and uh, you know and so that gives them a, a moment to debrief and of course I was finding more and more when I was seeing women that they were just having really, really challenging birth experiences, you know, saddening, you know, know, like not what they had planned at all. And that feeling so disempowered. And so I feel like maybe I'd sort of been thinking, gosh, I really need a way to be able to help women to heal because, you know, this, you know, sending them off to therapy for, you know, months and months and months. I just thought I would love to have something that, oh, just lifts it for them, you know, because they're, you know, I mean, it's one thing having a you know feeling traumatized by something but having to look after a new boy, new baby at the same time is like, like who who can do that you know it's like it's so hard you know it's so hard <laughs> it's one thing looking after yourself but looking after another human you've got to keep yes. it alive you know it's really tough yeah yeah okay so then i stumbled across a little workshop that somebody else that you've uh, louise actually louise, louise uh, Carmi. <laughs> you've been interviewed her before and um, she was just doing the thing at a local center so it was you know, two, 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 sorry, two hours in the evening. And so I thought, oh, I'll go along and see. And I have to say, Ruth, what I witnessed, I honestly, it totally blew me away, totally blew me away with what Louise did. Now, Louise is very skilled anyway, <laughs> but she'd obviously got a lot of experience. But I could just see, oh, my goodness me, I need to learn how to do this technique. Because if you can take out the emotional content of a trauma in 15 minutes, yes. oh my gosh, what a difference this is going to make to mm-hmm. the women that I support. And the men, because they're traumatized from the birth as well often, you know, they're yes. holding the space with no idea how to manage any of this. And they totally haven't got any control over it. Totally. So I went up to Louise at the end and I just said, oh gosh, Louise, I have to learn how to do this. She said, well, she said, I'm doing a training in two days time. I was like, oh gosh, two days time. Anyway, I juggled the kids around. I made sure that I was available and I went on the training, uh, which was in London. And I have to say it was a bit of baptism of fire because Louise made it look so easy when she did the demonstration. And then, you know, when I was there on the day thinking this isn't as easy as it looks, you know, just touching someone (laughs) from the shoulders down to the arms and across the hands and face. Oh, yeah. Okay. All right. Lovely. So, so you, um, so you went to this session with Louise Carme and there was an introduction and, and then you joined the uh, the training with Louise and like you said, it's not as easy, is it? <laughs> no, it looks easy, just, you know, stroking the arms and um, face and everything. But there's so much more to it than that. Um, and that, I know you've discussed it here on the show as well before. But what I, so initially... Oh, I really feel like I messed it up on the first go, Ruth. I just thought I, I am. It's not worked for this woman. I don't understand how. You know, I did what I was supposed to do. I don't. But but basically, I went into this whole. Oh, you see, you think you're something, don't you? Know this ego voice going. Oh, yes. so you really think you're something, don't you? And actually, you're not so clever, are you? And aren't you stupid? And blah blah blah. And all this terrible, terrible negative talk about you can't even distract somebody and stroke their arms. You you mess that up as well. I mean, obviously, I know now that you know <laughs> there was two of us at it, and you know, it's like it wasn't just me, of course. But I have to tell you, Ruth, I went into well it was basically fight or flight I was absolutely hysterical I had to leave the room I had to be havened because I was just totally convinced that something so simple I couldn't even do how is that so 
how was that so difficult? In fact, as I'm talking about it, I can sort of feel the emotions from it even, even though I've done loads of paving on it. <laughs> and um, and so I thought, well, I'm not going to be very good at this. And I said to Louise, I actually don't think this is for me. And I think maybe I shouldn't come back tomorrow. And she said, no, 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 please come back tomorrow. There's so much more to it. But by then I was really shaky, rocky, not feeling confident at all. And so I went back the next day. And then one of the women that was there sat beside me and I was feeling really vulnerable thinking I made such a fool of myself yesterday. I can't actually believe I've come back here anyway. So she sat beside me and she said, I've deliberately sat next to you, she said, because I want you to heal my birth trauma. I've had a baby two and a half years ago and I'm not over the trauma of the birth that we had with it. And I looked at her and I was like, did you see the state of me yesterday? Why would you possibly want me to help you heal your birth trauma? And she said, I want you to heal the birth trauma, she said, because you're a midwife and I trust you. And I thought, oh my God, she trusts me, but I don't trust myself. <laughs> anyway, so I thought, I don't know how the hell this is gonna go. And because I'd really lost my confidence the day before, I said to Louise, can you just oversee this? Because if she's asking me to heal birth trauma, you know, and I, you know, I was doing a simple thing yesterday and how I was, how I reacted anyway. So we did the healing and, you know, the woman, she, she had a, you know, she, uh, what do we call it? Um, uh, she was very triggered by the, by, by the experience. Yes. But by the end, when we went back into the circle, we had to share how people had got on with the experience. She said, I'd just like to share, she said, is that I had a birth trauma, she said, but now it feels like it's so far in the distance that it didn't even happen to me. And wow. that's when I thought, oh, my God, the power of this. Because I knew it the first time I saw it, there was power in it. But then I had that day where I was just all over the place, like, oh, do you think it's easy? You know, my ego was really kicking in. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, and so it, it was, a, it was a, a struggle for me, if you like, to... To, it took me a while to complete the case studies for it because yes. I still had that, you know, this is too good to be true. And who do you think you are? You're not even a therapist. Who do you think you are being able to pe heal people's birth trauma when they spend months and months in therapy? So, yeah. that, so I had a lot of, um, oh, so much of that imposter syndrome. Like, how dare you? Who do you think yes. you are? You know, this voice would just go on and on and on. So I had to use havening on myself a lot, Ruth, to... Yes overcome that that ego that voice that kept on going you're just rubbish who do you think you are you know all the terrible things that we can tell ourselves and, um, I, and I think it's so important that we do have those tools like havening to help ourselves yes. overcome yes. the negative self-talk that we have inside our minds yeah absolutely because, because I think you know learning about havening and the, the psychological impact of trauma often we think it is purely um we can talk it out yeah <laughs> which yeah. is what traditional talk therapy is but yeah. actually that doesn't address the outflows the yeah. not necessarily address the emotional outflows certainly not the somatosensory um components of the trauma and also um not the autonomic ones that we often experience and i think it's really important that we find the right tool for us and havening i think is fantastic but there are many other tools out there yeah that no, empowers, yeah. Us to, empowers us <laughs> to heal ourselves yeah absolutely absolutely so that really set me off on a journey after all of that with the with the healing the birth trauma and then 
finding havening and that understanding and thinking gosh no wonder women get traumatized in birth you know yes. if there are these four conditions for traumatization which is an event which is a big event you know you're giving yes. birth to a baby it's a huge event it's a huge life event and then you've got um the meaning so the meaning is that you know if the, if you're being told we need to do this because something might happen to the baby or if we don't do this something might happen to you that meaning is i could lose something here and in this case yeah. i could lose my life or my baby could lose its life you know that's yeah. terribly scary or both <laughs> exactly and then the landscape so that's the landscape of the brain so that's kind of like neurochemically you know how how stressed you you've been or how stressed your brain has been and if you've mm -hmm. had a stressful you know, a few hours before that, or generally you've had a stressful life or you've had difficult life experiences. It's going to change the, the neurochemical landscape of your brain. And then you've got inescapability. And with inescapability, you can't move. You've got everything. You've got all the straps on. You've got a blood pressure cuff. You've got a, um, monitoring the baby. You can't move. So you just think, oh, my God, you've got all four right there. All of those yes. conditions are right there. And of course, some women get traumatized and some women don't get traumatized. And that's yes. often about the okay, of emotional resiliency and the neurochemistry of the brain. So women often blame themselves for what happened. But so much of it is just about our brains trying to protect us. Mm -hmm. uh, oh, this is very familiar to something I might have experienced in the past. I don't like that. And then, of yes. course, all of those stress hormones start to to kick off and then women go into that fight or flight but of course they can't run away no and then that experience kind of gets frozen in the system and then as i see it it starts to come out more in the postnatal period and particularly with breastfeeding yeah and i'd love to know what you notice on if there is a correlation between people having um problems with breastfeeding to their traumatic birthing experience have you noticed a correlation between the two I certainly have. I mean, what we find is that women who've ended up with medicalized births or, you know, sometimes with this, uh, emergency cesarean, even elective cesareans, that mm -hmm. uh, they are more likely the evidence, the research shows that it um, definitely can impact on breastfeeding compared to when you have a natural birth where, you know, it's all your own hormones, uh, your body adapts more, more easily. Whereas if you've had lots of medication or lots of fluids, it can just delay, you know, the milk coming in sometimes. Often women can be a bit stressed and that has a huge impact mm -hmm. on milk coming in. And I've yes. certainly, I've certainly seen that that seems to be the case. Many of the women that I support with breastfeeding do feel traumatised after birth. Yeah, I know for me, I mean, obviously my outcome was um, uh, emergency caesarean, but I remember spending a lot of time trying to get the colostrum milk. Yeah. Is it yeah. colostrum? I got the Yeah, that's milk. it. Yeah, that's the first one. Um, yeah. Yeah, out before I gave birth to help me with um, starting breastfeeding. And I'm, my goodness, I was so pleased I did. Um, yes. because of because of the trauma <laughs> afterwards and the difficulty in get getting um you know yourself started yeah no definitely uh, particularly when you're feeling like that where you, what you really want to do is just curl up and go to bed but it's like it's not possible there's a child to feed here as well so yeah really and you've had major surgery <laughs> no absolutely so i any women that i work with antenatally i always get them to, to start expressing colostrum and that's partly that the women who express colostrum, and this isn't always the case, yes. um, that they seem to, because they're already familiar with their breasts, they're familiar with how to get the milk out. Whereas when you're immediately post-birth and you've never done it, can yes. feel like so such a huge thing. So even though the there's not much research on it, 
I certainly find that it I, it helps the women that I get them into encourage to remove their colostrum first to get them off to a better start. And also it means you've got some milk to give the baby if there is if the baby's not latching, for example. Yes. So, I found it brilliant from my husband's perspective because he could feed Lily yeah. whilst I was trying to recover a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, from the from the surgery. So we yeah. had we had quite a few syringes available um, yeah. to feed her, um, which allowed me to kind of heal. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely, absolutely, and to take the the stress off a bit because the stress of feeling how you feel, and then you've got a baby to feed as well. It just means that you've got a little bit of you know a bit of extra milk just for those first few days you know before the mature milk. I mean, there is colostrum there, obviously, but yeah, it's when yeah. the mature milk comes in on the on the third day. That. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. And um, and in the terms of um, your journey from obviously you started helping women with trauma mm -hmm. from the birthing experience. What were the what were the big surprises with havening that you uncovered as part of exploring the birthing trauma that women have um, through your work with havening? Uh, well, I think it was that realization about the conditions of how how trauma happens was just yes. like mind blowing. Like, well, obviously these women can't get off the bed, and <laughs> you know, so that was one of the things. And then there's a there's a part of havening where we use role havening. Oh yeah. And this is where you take on the role of the other person. Now, I, 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 obviously I knew about it, but I felt a bit scared to do it. But somehow it fitted really well with mm -hmm. the work that I do and often women who've experienced birth trauma they never get an apology they haven't got time to write letters about how they feel about their birth experience so mm -hmm. so often it doesn't reach the powers that be that could make those changes because they're just so they're just so busy with babies and they're trying to heal emotionally and physically mm -hmm. um so what I found was is taking on the role I take the role on of the midwife or the doctor who perhaps they felt you know said things that were inappropriate or okay. the way that it was said so you know because it sometimes it can just be the way somebody says something it's not what they're saying it's the way in which it's said mm -hmm. and so often during that role havening I found that I was giving them an apology probably an apology they would never get yeah and that was the thing and and also saying you know the midwife did the best she could with the knowledge skills and experience she had at the time and that seemed to be the main thing the apology and that them you know once you've done some of the havening so you've taken the sting out of it if you like Mm -hmm. once you've done the havening and then coming in to kind of mop up any last bits and that was that was when the role havening was really helpful and then they got to have a voice well how what would you like to say now if that midwife was sitting in front of you now or that doctor or pediatrician or whoever what would you like to say now and mm -hmm. they get the opportunity to say it and because you're doing it under the influence of havening where you're increasing the delta wave it seems to kind of embed a bit more in the subconscious mm -hmm. And so they come out feeling like I know what really happened, but I now feel like I'm it's it's not it's not part of me or it's distant or it's an image. And the other thing is to build a new image. And the sad thing about this is the new image that they build is often the one they write about in their birth plans. Is it? So they go back to, well, actually, I don't want to imagine myself have, giving birth in, um, in, a, in a bed. I'd like to be in the water pool or actually this time I'd like to be imagining myself in open waters and that's fine they can be wherever they want to be most yeah. of them go back to being in the water so whether that's in the sea we've had it in rivers some just in the birth pool 
you know, they often are not re, they don't want to recreate the birth they had. They recreate something else that is okay. much more beautiful. And so often when they come out of the experience, they they get that sense of oxytocin. So that even though they know that's not really happened, we're not trying to change that. Yeah. But obviously the brain is amazing and, you know, it doesn't yeah. know whether it's happening now in the future or... So we yeah, so by by doing this uh, outcome havening, you just change the outcome that kind of sits better with them, that they feel more peaceful with it. Yeah. And how do, do, do you manage to catch them, help them with the trauma, as it were, shortly after their experience to facilitate um, breastfeeding? Or is mo are most of your clients been, um, you know, quite a, a period of time after giving birth yes. well I, I have a bit of both but the majority of women and that's what I loved about havening so women aren't generally coming to me because oh I've heard you're a therapist and I need some help with birth trauma yeah. they come to me because they've got a breastfeeding issue then we start yeah. the story and then they start to weep and then I very quickly say I have this tool I'll tell you more about it in a moment because they're already activated Yes. Are you okay to touch me? If not, are you okay for your husband? Or do you mind just putting your hands together? They do it themselves. Yeah. And then I just take them through that process and just reminding them that they're safe and we do the distractions and then we go back in. Yeah. And in so many times, Ruth, I've been with women where it just feels like the milk is not flowing. We do the healing of the birth trauma and yeah. suddenly the milk starts to gush out. Does it really? <laughs> and it's powerful. It's powerful. You know, that trauma, you know, we're holding it in our bodies. Yeah, we do. And I I absolutely mm. understand that we do. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I've seen that on numerous occasions, you know, and then just women just looking so much lighter than when I arrived. Yeah. Because they're not carrying the heaviness of, of what happened to them. Yeah, yeah. Yes. And isn't that a beautiful thing? And, you know, how many people could be helped so how many women can be helped how many men can be helped in that whole birthing experience and the trauma that comes with it if we yes. included this as part of um you know what midwives are trained to do absolutely absolutely yeah. absolutely yeah and and it needs it needs something different because we're not therapists midwives don't want to be therapists yeah but we need some way of being able to support women that yeah. is that is, there's not, because they haven't got time. They've got new babies. They haven't got time to be. Yeah. <laughs> they haven't got time to do 20, 30 sessions of no. talking about stuff they don't want to talk about. No, and that's the thing. They don't want to talk about it. And that's the beauty of havening. Yeah. I don't even need to know what happened at your birth. No. All we need is how it made you feel. And yeah. we'll just work with that. Yeah. And you get such, such powerful results. It's yes. incredible. It's, I, I feel like it's such a gift. It's such mm. a gift. And it has transformed my work really yeah. I would say totally true well, I'd, I'd love to know in the context of um your journey uh, and we haven't asked this question yet we <laughs> um what does optimal brain health mean for you personally given everything that you've just said oh optimal brain health well I feel like it's very important um you know I feel like we've for so long we've separated the mind and the body and they're deeply connected yeah and you know what what what's not okay in our mind starts to show itself in the body so i think and and of course the beauty of havening is that you are bringing mind and body together which i which i just love because it, it it's all stored yeah and i think we use our body to help heal our mind absolutely because we're using the power of human touch absolutely absolutely and so many people are you know they're starved of touch yeah 
you know touch is our first language that's what babies expect exactly, you know? exactly. And, and we are very much starved of touch so yeah that that it's so it's about yeah caring for our minds and our bodies yeah, I, I think that's so important. And, and I'd love to dive into the mind aspect um, of the care piece that you just mentioned and the mm. spiritual spiritual content of our mind that we often so often forget. And I know your journey took you on a bit of a path that was completely unexpected. Yeah, so, so I mean, it does all come back to Havening. And I think what happened with Havening is I had to overcome a lot of fear, a lot of doubt about myself. And I did a lot of that through personal healing and affirmations with Havening. Uh, and there were some biggies that were there that needed to be cleared. And I got some help for the for the big for the big T's that were kind of underlying in the surface. Uh, so yeah, underlying. And uh, so, so I did get some help for that. But mainly I was using Havening to support myself. And, and now I feel like and, 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 and this is not I'm really not coming from a place of ego, Ruth. I really feel like there isn't there's nothing like in my mind. I think, oh, my gosh, I need to heal that. I feel like I've done a lot of healing. Havening yes. has been my tool that there isn't a lot left. And I think what happened was it Havening opened me up to like another dimension to the true, authentic me. And I realized that I was not just a human being, that I was actually a spiritual being in a human body. And that has opened up a whole new world. I became very interested in Reiki and that probably was the other thing that helped me. It was like it was a, it was an opening, but I was really sensing that my hands even, it kind of came along the same time as Havening, but then Havening took off. But the Reiki opened me up in another way. And then with all the healing, it's just like, it's almost like reaching a point of self-actualization. And I, and I really don't mean that in an ego way. It's like, yeah, you know, it's such a lovely place to be. It's really scary to go to your wounds. But actually, yes. once you're through it, it is just amazing. Life can be so wonderful when you reach, when you get through, when you get through those difficulties. And then mm -hmm. you just feel like you're in a place of just, just being. And like, yes. I feel like I'm, I have no expectations of people. I. Uh, I live my life where I'm, I just feel a bit unattached. And I, I don't mean that in a bad way. It's not that I'm not, I haven't got people, but I'm, I'm not attached to things. And I've experienced quite a lot, a lot of loss in my life. So I wonder whether that's where that's come from. But the yeah. trigger probably was the loss of my mother as well. All of this happening at the same time. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, the loss of my mum. And then that was such a huge loss. And then I was like, gosh, I work with mothers all the time. So it was like, I really have to grieve this because how am I going to work with mothers if I don't work through my own grief? Mm -hmm. And that was it has been really powerful i think i've gone off track slightly but no no it's that's really been really powerful and so and so it's it's i've reached a different place and having never believed in any spirituality i mean i was raised a catholic where yeah. they did talk about souls and spirits and angels and divine mother and then i kind of went against all of it and now find myself back almost like in a full circle <laughs> And I'd love to know if you could talk about your journey to writing your book, Baby Talk to Me, but Spirit Baby Messages for the Journey to Motherhood, because I think yeah. this is a, a really fascinating um, topic that we don't give at all enough credence yeah. to in the yeah. context of the spiritual connection we have with babies who who uh, don't make it into yeah. this world. Yeah. Um, 
absolutely. So I started writing a book about breastfeeding, Ruth, because I'd had nearly 25 years of experience of supporting breastfeeding women. And I had also, you know, supported lots of them to heal from trauma and was unpicking all of that and how sometimes that trauma is related to other things that happen in life. So I sat down to write this book about breastfeeding and I was going to talk about mind and body connection and all of this. Mm -hmm. And I would get into a bit of a meditative state and I'd get my writing pad out, A4. And then before I knew it, there were like seven or eight A4 pages written, no mistakes. I thought, this is a bit weird. Anyway, when I read it back, Ruth, I thought, oh, this is not about breastfeeding. This is not about breastfeeding. What is this about? So I kept writing. I was very curious and I kept writing. And what I realized now, Ruth, is that it was automatic writing that was what feels like came from a higher place. Yeah. Uh, because they weren't my words, um, yet they were important. And I thought this this was all the things I'd been reading about. I thought this is all coming together. Anyway, before I knew it, I had 90,000 words. Wow. And I was really like, who are you and where did this come from? <laughs> now, I know this might sound very strange to some of your listeners, but... <laughs> I was told it was from the spirit baby realm, which is basically the babies before life and uh, and after life. Now, wow. this is a very different concept, but actually, it's what I've discovered more and more is it's it's actually not a new concept. It's a very yes. ancient concept. It's just that we have forgotten. With the five thousand years of patriarchy, we have forgotten some of this ancient wisdom, and there's a lot of ancient wisdom in that book. But I thought I am writing a book which talks about spirits and souls, and I'm a midwife. Now, how can I possibly take a book out like that? So I was again. I had to do a lot of havening over the fear of bringing it out. I'm not really going to write it. I can't possibly do this. It's irresponsible. Imagine a midwife talking about spirituality. This is shameful. How could you possibly do that? Anyway. Anyway, so then I thought, I can't take that book out. So then I thought, you know, I'm going to just write about some of my experiences as a midwife. So I put that in the book as well. And then I thought, no, 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 I still can't take it out. I just can't. People won't believe me. That people will think I'm crazy. I'm going to lose my re reputation. I'm going to be struck off the nursing and midwifery register. I, I, I can't. It's just too irresponsible to do such a thing. <laughs> and then I thought, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to see if there are any references anywhere for any of the stuff that I've put in my book. And so then I went on another little trail and <laughs> I have got over 400 references. Wow. So that book is basically bringing spirit and science together. And what I realize now, of course, is that that is what we have lost in birthing. We have lost the spiritual aspect of birthing. You know, we're made up of all four elements but we're also made up of the mind, body, and spirit, you know, mentally, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. We're made up of all of those. Yes, we are. And, I, and part of me wonders, you know, are we in the state we're in in the world? Because there's a huge part of us that's been cut off. You know, we've already cut body and mind, and spirituality is even further cut off. Um, yes. And I'm not talking I, no, about I, religion. No, I agree with you. And I, I want to go from that cut off piece is because, you know, we separate ourselves from the baby when the umbilical cord is cut and that is our our physical and also our spiritual connection um separated yes. from the baby um but we still have a spiritual bond with our baby when they're born and we all absolutely have a spiritual bond with our baby when they're growing inside of us because they're a part of us um and they continue to be um a yeah. part of us when yeah. when we when we're growing up no. and i'm sure there's hundreds and hundreds 
of parents out there. And I had a very strong spiritual connection with my dad because he used to look after me when my mum was really sick in hospital. And um, when I was a baby, she nearly died. And my dad became like, like my, my mum. Mm -hmm. uh, and he, he actually knew when I was home from school, when I came home as a surprise, to, uh, home from university, I came home as a surprise and my mum said, you never guess who's in the house. She said, I already know Ruth's here. I knew when I walked over the bridge into yeah. the village yeah. and I think we really have lost that um spiritual connection to each other and particularly to our to our children but also to the wider to the wider world we kind of have we've kind of in the last sort of hundred years grown up to say like we are more important than nature and therefore we don't need to care about it but actually we are 100% dependent on nature uh, and we are made you know we come from nature <laughs> absolutely know. absolutely yeah, and I think it's so important. So I'd love to, I'd love if you could talk a little bit about your book and um, sure. and what it talks about and how it is being a, a revelation to you in terms of helping women connect yeah. with the spirit babies. Yeah. So obviously the book was doing its thing and I didn't really, well, as in, as in before it was published and I had, I was dealing with all these fears and everything. And then even the week before I thought, I'm not going to, I just can't, there's just no way I can publish this book. I just can't. How irresponsible. Anyway. I've done it. It's out there. It's been out there for 10 months. <laughs> She's making her way in the world. It's fabulous. Um, and basically, that book is to support women on their journeys through fertility, mm -hmm. after loss, and also during pregnancy. So it's what's really interesting is lots of grandmothers have bought it. And I think it is to support their daughters that will mm -hmm. be coming up. So I feel like it's a book probably for the future and it feels, because yeah. some of it is like a bit out there and it was a bit futuristic if you like, but um, anyway, I've, I feel like it's coming and I can see it now and something else has dropped in. I'll tell you about that in a second. Um, so basically what I do now is I support women on their fertility journeys. Now yeah. I didn't realize I had this ability Ruth but I think because I opened up to all of it I have the ability to connect with babies even before they're conceived mm -hmm. during pregnancy in utero and that was partly how this work started and then also after loss mm -hmm. now the way that this started was when I was in my breastfeeding groups and I felt that the babies were talking to me now obviously they weren't speaking but yeah. it, I suppose I was picking up telepathically what that baby needed and yes. so I kind of I didn't tell the women because I was terrified that no one would ever come back to my group again yeah. <laughs> I was a skeptic too and I knew that women would could be skeptics too uh, and then it started happening when I was wor working with women when they were laboring and I would hear the baby say things like she needs to move her left leg so that I can get out she needs to go to the bathroom we need to transfer to hospital now of course I was totally freaked out but I learned yeah. to just trust it and thought this must be happening for a reason. I'm getting this for a reason yes. because I'm a midwife yes. and and the work that I do, it's it's got to be. So, I mean, honestly, it's been a journey, but I've now started to, to trust it more and more. Mm -hmm. and, um, and I can see that the difference it makes for women and really uh, the work I do now is about, you know, bringing hope to people. It gives them the higher purpose, maybe why there's a delay and why they're not getting mm -hmm. pregnant um maybe the bigger reason why the miscarriage happened or why a baby chose not to stay and mm -hmm. so often women get caught in the the sadness of it all and very often the, it's it's often the baby's choosing and that might be mm -hmm. a new concept to some people and it's not to dismiss people's experiences either 
but but it can bring a lot of hope to families and mm. that's certainly what I've been seeing in my work yeah. and it's meant that I, I recognize that the work I do is very sacred work and mm. it is about bringing more spirituality more sacredness because mm. I'm not talking about religion when I talk about spirituality it's about bringing no, no. more sacredness to everything that we do you know it's exactly what you said you know we've forgotten that you know it's mother earth that provides for us yeah <laughs> it's the mother no, that provides and I think it's so important. I just want to share with you like the sacredness of, you know, the the spirit babies. Is um, I had a very traumatic miscarriage and I was only seven weeks, maybe a little bit longer in. Um, and it really took me by surprise when I had the miscarriage. And it wasn't really until I went on the havening journey um, that I truly understood that it was a, a message. Um, and I really learned a lot from it, too. Because yes. if I hadn't had the miscarriage and I hadn't been through the really deep low that I went through when um, mm. when I had the miscarriage, I wouldn't have appreciated for myself personally um, the importance of me setting up the right environment for my baby to grow. Yeah. Um, and I was in an incredibly toxic workplace culture um, mm. and I was not optimal at all by any stretch of the imagination in the context of my own health um, and I had to I had to do the deep work to get myself to a place where my body was ready yeah. no. <laughs> um, to have to grow a baby and the, the, the environment was right you know when we talk about we landscape in our mind is so important and that reflects the landscape that we create um in our womb as well and certainly for me personally anyway yeah no absolutely and we know and the evidence is there and I've written about that in my book as well and it's a book of all sorts really dolly mixtures <laughs> of anything birth related but it's um but talking about you know the impact of babies in utero experiences and how that impacts their life you know there's so much evidence about yes. that now um and and it's so important that we're creating that and sometimes we we, we think we're ready but we're not quite ready yeah there I is, mean I was so not ready yeah, like but, I honestly didn't even think about I just thought that you just made a baby it was so naive <laughs> yeah but that's what most women you know that's what most parents you know people that are planning to have babies that's what they think but it's yeah. not that it's so much more and so you know we store so much of our, of what happened to us as children yeah what happened to us as young women and young men all of it is stored and then of course we I mean I I, I can speak for myself here you know and there were times where you know, I was parenting my children from a wounded place, where a place yeah. where I didn't give to myself. And what I recognised was that there were I had unmet needs as a child, and it was playing out in my parenting. Yeah, yes. I mean, my children are very forgiving, <laughs> um, and we've talked a lot about it about how how I was wounded, and sometimes I would I would get really cross, but it wasn't really anything they were doing. It was my own unmet needs that were playing out. Trauma yes. plays out in our parenting. Um, and so if we can help parents to really understand this idea about the, the environment that the, that the babies are growing, how it impacts their lives, we can make such a difference right from the very beginning yeah. when we recognise. Because awareness is the first step to healing. Just having that awareness, I was treated like this as a child and I don't want to repeat those patterns or I want to change it or I want to do it differently. Yeah. It's so powerful. It, and that's how we're going to make the changes for the generations. Yeah. And so I'll just go back to the book very slightly. Some of the messages in the book are about, you know, we don't want to come into the trauma that so many of you have suffered. We want this to be easy. 
Yes. So what that means, of course, is that we as their parents have to do that healing before they come. Yeah. And, and do you know, I think that's such an important message because we really have um, in the past sort of 100 years, maybe less, medicalised the process of um, having a baby. And it's yeah. so much more than, you know, the process. Yeah. And when you think <laughs> it's... Yeah, when you think it's only been the last one to 200 years that we've been medicalizing birth, before that, people did, you know, they, they managed to birth babies. Yeah, very successfully. Successfully, for most, for most yeah, yeah. So I think the baby's concern is, you know, that, you know, I mean, one of the lines in the book is, you know, we're on a verge of mass extinction. It's, things have to change. And we are that generation to start that ball rolling. I think our ancestors were unable to. They were often living in fight, flight, freeze they, they they didn't have the space to go to therapy you know they were surviving and yeah. now we we are fortunate in whether you agree or not <laughs> that we can do that for ourselves yes. in a way that our families couldn't and of course our families you know despite what happens they do the best they can with the knowledge skills and experience that they have at the time no one sets out to hurt people yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. And I think, it, you know, that that generational trauma is really important because we've been yeah. we're now in a period of peace. Yeah. Um, it, it, contextually from a world world yeah. perspective. But actually, um, we are carrying absolutely. generations of trauma. Yeah. Like we yeah. all do. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, uh, particularly, uh, you know, over. Well, we all do from hundreds of years ago all the way through to the present day. And that can be expressed in in our behaviors and we might not even understand why but actually it's from it's past generations that are expressed into our present world yeah absolutely so we need to be given the right tools to know that we can heal ourselves yeah definitely and yeah and it feels and i didn't still didn't really understand why i'd written my book you know it was a bit out there you know you know i was a bit worried about judgment which has actually been okay anything that's been negative it's you know it's, it's like i get it I get it. Yeah. I didn't know what spirit babies were. I, you know, I, I get it. I totally get where you're coming from. I get it. Um, and now just in the last few weeks, I have learned a new modality, which is about healing the ancestral wounds. Yeah. And part of that healing is to clear, you know, disease patterns and programs for the generations to come. And so when I saw the modality, a bit like when I saw Havening, I just know that it's going to have such an impact on the generations coming forward, which is very, very exciting. Yeah, I think that's really yes. exciting. Alison, it's been an absolutely fascinating conversation with you. Um, what would your advice be to any woman that's really um, struggling with the birthing trauma that they've had or they're worried that their child has got birthing trauma? Yeah. Um, if, if you're worried about your baby having birthing trauma, one of the simple things you can do is to be skin to skin, maybe have a co-bathing, co get in the bath, have a rebirthing in the bath, um, bring your baby chest to chest skin to skin if you can and if it was challenging to just stroke your baby and just acknowledge for your baby that was really difficult that was difficult for you mm -hmm. that was difficult for me but we're safe now and I love you and we although we didn't plan for any of that to happen just know that we have got each other and you know we love each other mm -hmm. um I feel that that more I, I'm seeing it in my practice I'm getting people to do that and it's really making shifts um, but also if you're feeling like you're really stuck in the, the depths of it, then often it is helpful to to reach out for extra support. So you're not doing it alone. You know, we're not very good at asking for help generally. <laughs> no, we're not, because we've been conditioned as we started with to keep yeah. quiet. 
yeah i'm strong i'm strong i can do everything myself and it's like no we're all connected no we have to reach out for help yeah yeah <laughs> so i love that and how can people reach out for help uh, for yourself alison how can people get hold of you um learn about what you do get hold of your book baby talk to me spirit baby messages for the journey to motherhood <laughs> so um my website is alison shalou and that's s-h-a-l-o-e com. My Instagram is Alison Shalou underscore. If you want to know more about Spirit Babies, then you can go to Instagram Spirit Baby Communication, if you oh, wish. In the show notes, that <laughs> link. Um, and uh, I do have a podcast which is called Birthing the New Humanity. I, I just started about six seven episodes in, and there I'm really bringing in kind of ancient wisdom and knowledge to really try and empower women to. Oh, I'll take back their power for, for birthing and wow. know, bringing babies into the world. <laughs> wow, that sounds fascinating. So do make sure you check out Alison's website, all the links, join her on Instagram and her spirit babies on Instagram. I can't remember what the, the link is, but I'll definitely put it in the show notes. Alison, it's been an absolutely fascinating conversation. Thank you so much for sharing your journey and talking about how you can really empower women uh, to step into the person they want to be. And, and help them heal from their own um, birthing trauma. Yes. Thank you. There's hope for all of us. Thank you so much, Ruth, for this opportunity. Oh, you're most welcome. Remember, everyone, this show is all about brain health, unchaining your pain. You're not stuck with the brain you have. Uh, all the trauma you have, you have the power to heal yourself. And Alison has kindly been here to show you how. Thank you, Alison. I really hope you enjoyed that conversation. Thank you so much for listening. Please be sure to like and share this episode and leave a review on my website or on Apple Podcasts. If you're looking for opportunities to optimise your brain health or unchain your pain from a past trauma, make sure you visit my website, www.ruthmaryallen.com and use the code PODCAST10 at checkout to get 10% off all programs. And always remember, you are not stuck with the brain you have. You have the power to make it better. You have the power to unchain your pain and optimise your brain power and performance so that you can win back energy and time doing what you love.